Thank you. All right, let's go to Revelation chapter 5. And Revelation chapter 5. And let's, let's pray. I'd like to ask, I mean, today's message, like last week's, no thunder. Sorry. And, uh, but again, if you've not been here for uh, a lot of the series of Revelation, I want to encourage you to get some of the tapes because it's really a great flow. I mean, you can get a lot out of one message, but it's really the flow of a, of a tremendous book. And there is a Bible study guide published by InterVarsity Press, which is in the back of the, at the book table. I believe we have some copies. I'd encourage you to buy it. It's a few bucks. And uh, just to get you in your devotional life, to be reading through Revelation, thinking about it, meditating on it. Uh, today's passage is so incredible uh, that I will spend next week on it, too, as we look at uh, in the context of Christmas. There's just so much there. And it was very difficult to prepare because, like last week's, this is an experience. This is, this is something to, to feel, to, to enter into, and not just simply intellectually understand. So, uh, again, remember, chapters 4 and 5 of Revelation are the, the center of the book. And if you can, again, picture the George Washington or Verrazano Bridge and how the bridges are suspended on these kind of these two big pillars and it kind of goes up like that on these uh, large poles and everything is suspended on these pillars. Well, Revelation 4 and 5, as we get a, a, a glimpse or a vision of the throne of God and the Lamb, uh, is the pillars upon which is suspended the entire book of Revelation. And the throne of God is mentioned in almost every chapter of the book of Revelation. And it's meant to be really uh, something that you see and are so in you and you feel it and it does affect the way that you live every day. So, uh, there's a thing called Amen. We're gonna, as we read this text, the end you're going to see, everyone says Amen. And again, it means so be it or yes. And it's very difficult to translate in English or any language for that matter because in Hebrew there's so much to the word Amen. But it comes from the Hebrew rock or foundation or faithful. And it's like saying... As, as you hear truth or see God or realize things that are true, you go, amen. I mean, oh, you are the rock. You're, you're trustworthy. It's true, everything we've said here today. And uh, so we're going to end with an amen. But I need you to say an amen now. Ready? Amen. amen. No, so be it. The God's on the throne. It's true. Amen. amen. And uh, again, such a wonderful word, amen, when someone says something. Because yes, it is true. God's promises will all come to pass, no matter what anybody says. Amen. All right. All right, let's pray. Father, as we look into the city of New York, where we live, and into the state, and into our country, into the world, I pray, Lord, that we would see the city you're building. We'd see the new heaven and new earth, God, that you're ushering in, in your kingdom. That, Father, we would have eyes to see and ears to hear, and we'd be able to feel and experience this text today of chapter 5, of the throne room of you, almighty God, and of the Lamb, and that you might enable us to say amen in a way that we've never said it before as we think and muse and ponder you in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 It is true. Now, remember, this book is written to, the uh, book of Revelation is written to seven local churches in seven cities in Asia Minor, present-day Turkey, in the first century A.D. And the Roman Empire is the ruling empire of that day, and it's, of course, conquered Asia Minor, like it's conquered uh, many, many other provinces of the known world. And the Roman Empire was the greatest civilization the world had ever known up to that point. And, and they had imposed not just a political military 
uh, peace over the empire. It had imposed a culture, a way of viewing life that uh, was very Greek, very Roman, and it was, it was a way of seeing truth and how to live your life. And it, it affected not just politics, but economics and uh, music and sports and arts and education. Uh, and the Roman Empire promised peace and security and affluence to everybody who lived under the Roman Empire. And so people loved the Roman Empire. It was a great place to live. But to oppose it was not a, a good thing to do. And the Romans did believe that their Caesars, their kings were gods. They were divine, much like the pharaohs in ancient Egypt. And, and so you'll see all kinds of inscriptions in ancient archaeology and texts of that time. Things like, you know, our Lord and our God, referring to Caesar Augustus or, or Caligula or, or Domitian. And, and, uh, or uh, may glory, honor, and praise be given to Caesar. Or things like sovereign Lord. Or he's the king of all the other little kings. Or the Lord of all little other lords. And so... When all those words are used, as we're going to read the text in a few minutes, all through Revelation, they are, they are, in a sense, almost like politically revolutionary statements. Because what the Apostle John is saying is that the true one who is worthy, you are worthy, is not Domitian, the emperor, it's the Lord is worthy. The one who is a sovereign Lord is the Lord is a sovereign Lord. He's the king, he's the Lord. And, uh, and so again, the, 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 the Domitian, who was the emperor when the time this was written, he believed very much that he was the king of the gods. And uh, remember, as I talked about last week, that like, this illustration of they used to burn incense in most of these Asian minor cities that in the marketplace, and especially Ephesus, there's been, you know, there's a lot of studies on this, that once a year they'd have a parade. They'd stop the parade along the way, and all the dignitaries would, would bow to the altar to uh, Domitian, the emperor. And they would burn incense to him as God. And everyone kind of would do it and bow down, you know, and, and get down. I mean, the word bow down or worship is kiss, you know, bow down, prostate. And if you didn't do this, burn incense uh, to the, to the uh, emperor, you didn't do business in that city, and eventually you'd be crucified. So uh, the Romans had no problem crucifying people who were in rebellion. They understood how things worked. And uh, so Christians found themselves in an incredible dilemma because once Domitian took power and he really got into this emperor worship thing uh, more than, except for Nero, probably was the biggest guy, went crazy on him being Lord and God. He actually really believed it. And uh, so he... Uh, released a full-scale persecution on Christians that did not bow to him as God. And so at the time of the writing of this book, Christians are running for their lives, many are dying, uh, but actually it's only just beginning, it's going to get much worse, and um, there's a call here to who is on the throne and who, what real worship's all about. So uh, let's, let's, why don't we just take a minute, let's read it, and uh, together, uh, the passage. Ver chapter 5, verse 1. Then I saw, wait, wait, before I read it, let's do it, before I, before, before I, last week's, go to chapter 4, the end of chapter 4, you'll see, we've had this image of the throne room of God last week, and God the creator, the holy one, is on it, and he's awesome, he's transcendent, he's other, he's the Lord God Almighty, he's got all the power of the universe in his hands, and again, it ended in, in, in verse 10, the end of it, where these 24 elders, who represent probably the redeemed people of God all through history, they lay their crowns before the throne of God, who lives forever and ever. You see that at the end of chapter, uh, end of chapter 4, verse 10? And they throw their crowns down, and it symbolizes that everything that, that they have, and whoever given, is all God's. And when we see God face to face, we'll all throw our crowns down, all that we've got. And uh, in the presence of God, when you see God, you will not say, oh, hey, God, you know what I did in my life for you? I did this, and I accomplished this. Nobody will say that foolishness. Everybody will be grateful and throw their crowns down and say, God, it's all because you enabled me to do it. It was all your grace. 
And it says, you are worthy, verse 11, our Lord and God. You're worthy, Lord and God. Not Domitian, no emperor. You're worthy, our Lord and God, you alone, to receive glory, honor, power, for you created all things, and by your will they were created and have their being. And I don't know if you have an overflowing sense that all of your life is a gift from God, but you shall. That the fact that you're breathing is a gift from God. The fact that you're alive is a gift from God. The fact that you can sit there and understand what I'm saying and your mind is, is working and those brain cells are kicking in is a gift from God. And that's why gratefulness, when you function and, be, and sit there and be thankful for everything that God's given you, that is entering into heaven. Heaven will be filled with forever and ever gratefulness to God. And that's why bitterness and anger and complaining is so antithetical to the glory of what heaven's all about. For by your being, by your will they were created and have their being. So that means, that's why the day you were born, God chose us. Thank you, Lord. You may not have had a perfect family. None of us have. God gave you those two people to be your parents. You, say, you will someday say, thank you, God. The country you were born, the hospital you were born, the home you were born, the people you were born around, the family was a gift. Every morsel of food you take, why is it nice to say grace? Not in a legalistic way. We say grace, thank you, because the fact that you can eat and there's something in front of you is grace. For by your will they were created and have their being. I mean, this universe is sustained right now. It doesn't explode because of God holding it together. If we were, they say, you know, scientists say, we were just a little bit closer to the sun, we'd all burn up. If we were a little bit further away from the sun and the earth, we would freeze to death. I mean, the, the, the gal our galaxy, the Milky Way, is moving at a million miles an hour. Do you realize that's why you're tired? <laughs> I, I, I was thinking about it. Just that alone is exhausting. If we're moving at a million miles an hour. And then the Andromeda galaxy, which is much bigger than our Milky Way galaxy, it's we're moving at a million miles an hour, and right toward us is this other galaxy coming at 200,000 miles an hour. It's a good movie script. <laughs> now, we have a big problem. Now, did you lose any sleep over that last night? Did you wonder, are we going to collide here by morning? Well, they say it's going to take three billion years until we collide. I don't plan to be around. I don't know about you. But God has got it all in his hands. Do you realize that? It's all in his hands. We're moving a million miles an hour. They're moving 200,000 miles an hour. And you know what? Uh, a sense of awe that all of this, it says in chapter 11, verse, verse 11, by your will they were created and they have their being. You sustain it every moment. Thank you, God. That's God the creator. And John wants them to see this is reality. Now, at that moment, in the throne room, the next kind of act takes place, the next scene, verse 1. Then I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne. Now, just real quickly, before I get carried away. The right hand is, is, is for the emperor and the rulers. That's the hand of authority. And so, in the right hand of God, the Father, the creator, is a scroll. And the scroll is the theme of actually the rest of the book of Revelation. Because the scroll is going to be unveiled. And we're going to know what's going on. All right, let's just read it first. All right. I saw on the right hand of him who sat on the throne a scroll with writing on both sides and sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming in a loud voice, Who is worthy to break the seals and open the scroll? But no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth could open the scroll or even look inside it. I wept and wept because no one was found who was worthy to open the scroll or look inside. Then one of the elders said to me, Do not weep. See, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has triumphed. He is able to open the scroll and its seven seals. Then I saw a lamb looking as if it had been slain, standing in the center of the throne. 
encircled by the four living creatures and by the elders. He had seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. He came and took the scroll from the right hand of him who sat on the throne. That's the turning point of the whole book. He takes the scroll. At that point, watch what happens. When he had taken it, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the Lamb. Each one had a harp, and they were holding golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song. You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals, because you were slain, and with your blood you purchased men for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. You have made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God, and they will reign on the earth. Then I looked and heard the voice of many angels, numbering thousands upon thousands and ten thousands times ten thousand. They encircled the throne of the living creatures and the elders, and in a loud voice they sang, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. And then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and on the sea and all that's in them singing to Him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Be praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshipped. Hallelujah. All right, now, the scroll. The scroll, what's in the scroll? You know, the scroll is written on both sides and the inside, verse 1. And normally scrolls are just written on the inside and that's it. This scroll is different. It's written all over. There's so much that's going to happen. And the scroll contains the history of what's going to happen in the world. What's the meaning of life? Where is it all going? But in the scroll also is, where is your life going? What's the meaning of your past? What's the meaning of your present? What's your future hold? What's your destiny? That's all in the scroll. And on that scroll is in the hand of God, the Father, God Almighty, the Creator. And uh, the question is, who's got the right to open it? Because once this thing is open, and all the rest of the book of Revelation is going to take place, you're going to know where, what's going to happen with your life. Now, uh, you know, on the scroll is not going to be about whether there will be a strike tomorrow. But on that scroll is all the broad strokes of what you need to know about your future and your life and where you're going, and my life too. But verse 2 the question is, who's worthy to break open the seals? Now, again, the emperor in those days would, 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 um, would seal a very important document with his you know, insignia on his ring, and it was like wax they would use, and he'd seal the scroll, and only a person authorized could receive the scroll, open it, and then execute its, you know, whatever's written in it. Now, an, an emperor would just put one seal on, on, a, on a document. And if it was a super important document, it might have two seals. This document, this scroll is so important because it's got all of history on it, where it's all going, and your future and my future on it. This scroll has seven seals, which again, is a, seven is a symbol for perfection. It is so important what's inside of it. And there's no one, you'll notice, in heaven worthy to open it. Now, I know, you go to bookstores, there's lots of books on angels, but no angel can open that book. No one on the earth can open the book, it says. No philosopher no brilliant person, no, no, no wealthy person, no prophet. There's nobody on the earth. No king is going to open it. There's nobody under the earth. People go to seances. They go to try to call up dead people, right, and spirits. They're trying to find someone that can unlock the future. Where's it all going? Because it all seems so chaotic. It looks like evil's in control. And John weeps because who's worthy to open up the scroll to show what life's all about and where it's all going? And he weeps. And then an elder says to him, 
uh, don't weep. There's somebody who can, in verse 5, do not weep. The lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, he's triumphed. And it refers to the cross and the resurrection. And he's triumphed. He's defeated the enemy. He's able to open the scroll, and it's seven seals. And so then John turned. Now, a lion was a scary figure for, for, for Jews. And I mean, the devil's considered a lion in 1 uh, Peter. So lion's a ferocious figure who inflicts death. And so, even though it's a messianic title too, and so John, like, he turns, and, and instead of seeing a lion, he sees, verse 6, he sees a lamb. It's an incredible contrast there. And again, next week I'll, I'll expound the whole thing. But he's probably a bit frightened when he hears a lion of the tribe of Judah. He's worthy to open his scroll. Oh my gosh, oh my gosh. And he turns and he sees a lamb. And that's not the word for like regular, like adult lambs or sheep. He uses a word that's only used one of the time in the New Testament. It's a word for a little lamb, like little baby lambs. And it's this weak, humble, little lamb, you'll notice, looking as if it had been slain or slaughtered. Its throat had been cut. It's a bloody thing he sees. But this, this bloody lamb who bears the marks of death is alive and has volunteered and given himself to be a Passover lamb for the sins of humanity, resurrected and, uh, uh, through the cross and is alive. And he sees this lamb who's been slain and he goes, and he realizes that's the one, says the God, who's able to take the scroll from the right hand of the creator. Now, you got, you got, I, I see as Lewis says something really beautiful. Because we have lots of names of God. He's the lion, he's a lamb, he's, he's the creator. And every name we have for God is, is inadequate. And some of you have read the stories, uh, Chronicles of Narnia, where Christ is compared to Aslan. And C.S. Lewis has this little brilliant little moment when, when one of the young boys is asking, like, well, are you like, he says to Aslan, trying to understand who, you know, Christ. He says, are you, are you, are you a giant? He asks Aslan, this lion. And Aslan responds, you may call me a giant, but I am not like the creatures you call giants. What he's saying is that, that God lets us call him names. He's a lion. He's a lamb of God. He's a lion of the tribe of Judah. But God is bigger than all of our names. There's so much more packed into the names of God. And uh, none of them are adequate. Again, next week we'll, we'll explore it. But this little lamb who's been slain has got the scroll that unveils all of history. Not the devil. Not the emperor. Nobody but the lamb. Has, thank God has got that scroll with all of history on it. And this lamb, put the verse up, Michael. Understand, this lamb, as we'll un unfold Revelation uh, in chapter 17, the ten horns that you saw are ten kings. They have one purpose, and they will give their power and authority to the beast. Now, again, the beast refers to the evil Roman Empire that is seeking to crush the church and crush the people of God. And they will make war against the lamb. But in one sentence, it's boom. But the lamb will overcome them because he is Lord of lords and king of kings. That's who, the lamb is so powerful that all the kings of the earth Rising up against them, bam, he's the king of kings and lord of lords, not Domitian, and he will overcome them just like that. And there's so much more in that about that. And, and uh, so he's got seven horns, verse 7, which means he has absolute authority. Horns are a symbol of authority. He's got seven eyes. He's got absolute perfect sight, this lamb. Now, once he takes it in verse 7, the lamb takes a scroll from, the, from God the Father on the throne, and now we hit the climax. Because now is unleashed in verse 8, the most incredible scene. Now, some of you are artists here. Please write a poem, write a story, paint a picture of what we're going to see because now the most glorious worship service in the universe we get a picture of in all of Scripture. And in verse 8, look what happened. When he, when he had taken it, the lamb takes the scroll. 
The four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the Lamb immediately. And each one had a harp, and they were holding golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. Now, just stop for a second. Do you ever feel like, you ever pray and you feel like it's not going anywhere? What, what difference does my prayer make? I used to have a friend, I never forget, when I first became a Christian, he used to argue all the time, ah, prayer doesn't change what God's doing, it just changes us. That's not true. It's a lie. Prayer does change what God does. Because right here it says here, lots of scriptures for that, but these golden bowls, they've got these, these it was kind of these saucers, and there's incense coming up. And he actually tells us what they mean. These golden bowls full of incense are the prayers of the saints. Every prayer you've ever prayed is in that bowl. And when, as, that, as God's unleashing what he's doing on the earth, mixed in with his decrees written on the scroll are the prayers of his people all through history. Because when he puts a burden on your heart, he's choreographing something that he's going to be doing through history. And so that's why it's so important that you respond to burdens on your heart and you pray them back to God. Because it's like incense going up to heaven as God's moving and doing things. So your prayers are incredibly significant. So don't ever believe the lie from hell that the world and the beast would say is, why should you pray? You're not worthy anyway. God's not listening to your prayers. They're weak. You're insignificant. They're a waste of time. And so you don't pray. That's the beast trying to shut you down. But your prayers are powerful, are supremely significant. Every child up there who danced before, their prayers rise as incense before God. If any time you need encouragement to pray for people you're concerned about in situations, please lift it to God. It's going as incense, and you can rest assured everyone is in that bowl. And God will use it. Okay. Sorry. Now. Verse 9, as we enter this whole worship scene, this incredible worship scene, I want you to see it. And uh, they're singing. Verse 9, they sang a new song. We're going to end with singing in just a few minutes. Maybe a few more minutes. But they sing a new song. And you'll notice, you've got singing all through the book of Revelation. Constant singing. Heaven is filled with singing. Do you like to sing? I mean, if you don't like to sing, you've got a problem. I mean, heaven's going to be filled with singing. But do you realize when we're depressed and we're down, you know, it's really hard to sing. And that's why David taught us, remember, to sing our, our weepings and our sufferings and our laments back to God. But heaven is filled with singing. Moses sings, Miriam sings, Deborah sings, David sings, Paul and Silas sing. And now, as we get into Revelation, everybody's singing. Constantly break out in song as they see God. There's no other way to respond in, in new songs. And, and you'll see three times in this text, new songs breaking out. And uh, that's why I love the choir. I love music. We want to encourage you, bless you and sing. But why are they singing? Because now it's not just the fact that God's the creator and by his very nature he sustains our breath. No, we're now singing for something even more than that. He is our, what the Bible calls, redeemer. He's come and he's rescued us. And the image here is of slave market. You were lost, you were in bondage, and he saved you out. Look at this, verse 9. You are worthy, they sing, to take the scroll and to open its seal. You, Lord Jesus, are worthy to control all of history and to execute judgment and salvation and move things through history because you were slain. You gave yourself and died on the cross for our sins. And with your blood, you purchased men for God. Now, I don't know about you. I have bought a house. I didn't pay blood. I bought a car. I haven't paid blood. Now, I love my house. I love my car. I bought clothes. I, I've never paid blood for anything. Do you understand that if you're here today and you're, you're, you belong to Jesus, he paid blood to purchase you. He owns you twice. He owns you because he made you. 
and he owns you because now he's per- you ran away from him. Now he purchased you back at the infinite cost of his blood. Is there any higher price that God could have paid to get you to be in a relationship with him, to get you to love him, to bring you back to his heart? That's why we, you go and you run your own life and you say, well, this person owns me or money owns me or comfort owns me or, or the beast owns me. What, what, how atrocious that is. Because he purchased you and he owns you by his blood. But he's made you something from every tribe and tongue. I love this. And people and nation. So you'd be a worshiper. Verse 10. He made you to be two things. He made us to be a kingdom and priest. You're a priest. You've got a destiny. The beast is saying, the empire is saying, these Christians, you're insignificant. You're nothing. You're small. You're, you're worthless. God said, no, no. I made you to be a priest. You represent me on the earth. The fact that I'm on the throne. You bear witness to that. And I love this verse. And he made you to be a kingdom. Verse 10. And they will reign on the earth. What he's saying is, Christians, you're running for your life. You feel like you're nothing. You're nobody. You will rule. Not Domitian. Not Caesar. You are going to rule over the new heaven and new earth with me on my throne. Oh, come on. It's too much. Can you even bear that? That's how incredible the work of Jesus did in the cross and resurrection that he purchased people like you and me. Lost, losers, slaves, going our own way. He bought you and he made you a priest. He made you a king and a queen to reign with him forever and ever and ever. Where, where am I going with my life? Where are you going? You're going to rule with Jesus forever. I'm not worthy. We know you're not. It's grace. It's mercy. It's by his blood. This is, it's so, they're singing the fact that the, you are the true kings, not Domitian. Let him kill you. You're the ones who are going to rule forever and ever. That's reality because God's on the throne, not him. And so, as, as then I looked, verse 11, as they're contemplating on this reality of what Jesus has done at the cross, of taking people like us, and he's made us into a family. Do you realize what it costs to have us in the room? Asian, Hispanic, African American, you know, Filipino, white, European, East, Western European, Palestinian Jew. For all of us to be in the room, to worship God, it costs the blood of Jesus to get us here. And the goal is not that we just simply be together. The goal is that we'd worship him who's on the throne. And we would bear witness. And the beast wants to shut your witness down. Don't you feel it? And so, as, as he contemplates this incredible work of Jesus, the Lamb of God, who has taken the scroll, verse 11, he sees thousands and thousands and ten thousand times ten thousand. What that means in Greek is a, a number that cannot be counted. He saw of angelic beings okay, worshiping the Lamb, and they're singing in a loud voice. They sang, verse 12, worthy is the Lamb. What a song. Who was slain. Again, Jesus, you you were slain. You were slaughtered for me. I can't bear it. Such love to receive power. Who's got the power? It's not Domitian. It's not those with money. It's not those with status. It's not the celebrity. You've got the power. Who has the wealth? You've got the wealth. Who's got the wisdom? It's not all the wisdom in the world all that fills all the best university libraries in the world. You, Jesus, Lamb of God, you've got the wisdom. Who's got the strength? There's lots of military strength out there. There's lots of people physically strong. There's lots of people who've got power. But Lord, you've got all the power. You allow it to be used by different people. Honor. We, we say thank you. I say thank you, Anthony, for what you did. That's good. We say thank you. I, you know, but he understands we give honor to each other. That's not a bad thing. But all the honor belongs to you, O oh God. And all the glory belongs to you. One of my daughters was telling me about a concert at Madison Square Garden, you know, and when some of these guys got up, you know, to the stage, people were screaming, ah, you know, and they want to touch his, touch his shoes and anything, just, just going crazy, ah, you know. 
But you know, all that honor and praise, it, from sports stadiums, when Michael Jordan walks on, to celebrities, to movie stars, it belongs to you, God alone, are worthy. So you understand, it's, it, John's trying to give him a vision. All of that doesn't go to anybody or anything earthly. It belongs to you alone, O Lamb of God, who sits on the throne. And then it climaxes, verse 13. Then I heard every creature in heaven, on the earth, under the earth, on the sea, and all that's in them. And they're singing. And you've got a roar. It's almost like a, you know, I wish we had a sound effect for this one. You know, a roar of the entire created order roars in adoration to him who sits on the throne. And they anticipate the end of history. And they all recognize the superior value of the Lamb of God above all else. I mean, we give value to lots of things in life. But at the end, everybody on earth, under the earth, in heavens, everyone will recognize that the superior value and worth of everything belongs to, verse 13, to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Be praise and honor and glory and power, not just for now, forever and ever. In Hebrew, it's forever and ever and ever and ever and ever. To you alone, O God. And you've got this just incredible, incredible adoration from everybody. And they say in all, verse 14, the four living creatures say, Amen. It is true. You are the foundation. And they fall down, the elders, and they worship. Again, that word for worship is they kiss his feet. They, they bow down. That's the word for worship is to kiss the feet of someone. And and inferior to someone grace. Now the reality is God is on the throne. But, but things come into our lives that we, that people come into our lives and events come into our lives and they knock us off of living in that reality. And we think God's not on the throne anymore. This thing is chaotic. Life's out of control. I'm anxious. I don't know what, what's going on here. And that's most of our experiences here. And so really I want to make the two quick applications and then I want to apply it. All right. So here's the first one. Really similar to last week's. This, this text is speaking to those of us in this room who are intoxicated. By intoxicated, I mean drunk. You're drunk with our culture, which has seduced you and sucked you in so that you no longer truly are kissing the feet and worshiping the one who's on the throne. The Romans didn't mind if you worship Jesus. They just wanted to make sure you had at least two gods, them and Jesus. Now, again, if you come from a background where, where, where there's probably no greater book in the Bible where... Jesus is declared as God than the book of Revelation. He is God. And we have the Trinity, God, God existing in three, but he's one God. And he deserves worship just like God the creator. He is, he is God the creator who's come down the person of Jesus. But can you feel the pull of Christmas? I mean, can you, I, I, was at, I was at a, you know, a bookstore yesterday. I was overwhelmed. The pull of Christmas, of, of, again, the beast. Can you feel the beast breathing on you? Because, again, you're supposed to experience the beast. And you can feel him trying to suck you in to crush your witness to what is true of who's on the throne. Because you're a priest. We are to be bearing witness in our culture this Christmas that we are celebrating an incredible event in 10 days. That he is on the throne. But do you realize we are so exhausted? Gifts to buy, food, people coming over. We've got so much to do, parties to go to. We, we can't wait till it's over. Because the beast has shut us down from proclaiming that he is on the throne. We are celebrating. What a, what, a, what a great thing to celebrate Christmas in our culture. The most important event in all of history. That the Lamb of God has taken the scroll at the cross and resurrection. He invaded the earth and we're to proclaim it. But remember, the beast wants you to worship at least, yeah, Jesus, but somebody else too. 
to silence you. Now, I want you to make a little list, a mental list, or if you have a pen. Write down all the things you love and all the things, in a sense, that you, you kiss. Now, good things. And you've got to make a list of these things because it's one thing to receive them as a gift and you lay that crown down before God and you worship him who's on the throne. The problem is the things that we love get on the throne. So make a mental list right now. So, for example, my mental list, I started making it, my, my application of this text was, I love my wife and my children, but you know what? They're not on the throne. And I had to lay that down. I love my home. I love the things, you know, I love my car, you know. And, and uh, you can, some of you write down, I love my credit card. I love that plastic money. I can pull it out at any moment. You know, I love, you, I love my job. That's not a bad thing, but you better lay it down. How about your health? I love being healthy, you know, being able to work out. I love my independence, some of you are saying. I love my comfort. I love my privacy. I love certain people thinking well of me. Most of us, we don't need the whole world to think well of us. We just need a few people to think well of us. And as long as those few people think well of us, we feel good about our lives. You better lay that down, too. Because this is supposed to get these Christians in Asia Minor who have compromised with the beast to lay it all down, lay their crowns down, and to repent. Because you cannot bow to Rome or the beast with all of her dazzling prosperity, security, and peace that it promises you and bow to Jesus at the same time. You cannot have two on that throne, but one alone. So who is on the throne of your life, and who are you kissing? You've got to ask yourself that. Who are you, whose feet are you kissing? And lay it down, because all the power, wealth, and wisdom belongs to no person and no thing that's created on earth, but to him alone. You have an enormous invitation. If this is you, and you're, you're, you're oh my gosh, oh my goodness, you have such an invitation. He says, I love you. I purchase you. I own you. And I'm, I'm inviting you to rule with me forever. I've got an incredible destiny for your life. Now, Revelation 3, verse 20, like the church in Laodicea, I'm, lock, I'm knocking on the door of your life. Will you let me in again? You've excommunicated me. You shut me out of your life. Yes, I know you're a believer, but you shut me out. Can I come in? Because I want to dine with you. I want to sup with you. I want you to reign with you. I want you to reign with me. But I'm on the throne, and he is pleading with you to let him into your life afresh. So I love that text. All right, so... That's one application for those of you intoxicated. But the second is for those who are discouraged and those who are beaten down and those of you who are suffering. There's a word here, and the word is, be encouraged, Jesus is on the throne. Now, let me just give a quick caution here. Because if you're doing all you know to be true in obeying God, and you can know that God's shaping you and he's on the throne. But if you're, for example, in deep debt, because you just won't stop spend it, and go to some budget class and get yourself an order, and you're discouraged and beaten down, sorry, okay? This doesn't apply to you, because if you're beaten down because of your own, I don't know what other word to use, stupidity, that's different. And, or if you, you know, see someone keeps losing their job, oh, I can't hold a job, oh, I'm beaten, I'm suffering. Yeah, but you, you, you have conflict with everybody you work with, and you need some discipleship in how you resolve conflict, how to relate to people, how to love and how to be gracious. And you won't learn that because you're so super spiritual. Oh, he's on the throne. I'm suffering. No, 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 no. Okay? Okay? That's just, that's just, that's, that's you. All right. So let's put that aside. But he is saying to those truly discouraged or suffering, because with following Jesus, you will suffer. Because the beast will make sure you suffer. And because you are in a collision course with the world in which you live. They cannot coexist. 
And so, but you got to hear this. If this is you, you're suffering, you're beating down, and you're following Jesus, oh, I don't know, is he on the throne or not? God says, I want you to know something. Your prayers go right up to the throne room. Your prayers are heard in heaven. You are rich. You are not poor. You are wealthy. Don't measure wealth by the world's measures wealth. If you are faithful to Jesus, you are so wealthy. Not only that, he goes, you're going to reign forever and ever and ever. And so you can know this, that when you're in trials, and you will be, God's working in and through you. Consider it pure joy, my brother. So you know what? If you're being faithful and you're singing, oh, God, I'm trusting you to bring the right person at just the right time, but I'm, being, I'm waiting on you, God. You can rest assured, he's on the throne. If you've been betrayed, you've experienced loss, you've had disappointment, you can rest assured, he is on the throne. And you can be faithful to that. If your health is shot, say, God, what happened? Be encouraged. Be faithful. Bear witness. He is on the throne. Certain doors have shut for you. Say, God, why'd you shut those doors? Where's the open door? I don't know what's happening. I'm in this confusing, I don't know, in between. God says, I'm on the throne. Be faithful. Don't be discouraged. Maintain yourself firm before me. Your money, you know, you've been faithful. Dave talked about giving early. You know, I don't know. Where is it? I don't see the prosperity. I'm being faithful to God. God says, don't fret. My promises are true. Say, amen. I'm on the throne. And so you have an indispensable role in history to play. You're a priest. You've been made a king and a queen for God's purposes. Your prayers have enormous power to affect what God does in history. And so most of us, though, we can't see God working in our trials. And so we despair. Oh, he's not in the throne. We get crazy. And God says, no, I'm working. I'm making you a gift for the world. I'm moving through history. And that's why it says in Hebrews 11, some were stoned, some were sawed in two, some were shipwrecked, some were beaten, some were homeless, some wandered in caves. But, but they were faithful because they understood that God was on the throne. And so it can feel, and I, I, my best illustration of life sometimes, it can feel like, I'm driving a car, or God's driving, I'm in the back seat. I'm like, everything's great. God's on the throne, God's on the throne. But then I hit, like yesterday, I hit traffic, and it, you know, on the highway. And I went, I called my wife, I was so angry. You shouldn't have sent me this way, I blamed her. And it was like, but like, I, I lost God being on a throne. And God says, no, no, no. God says, I never take my hands off the wheel. I am always on the throne. And the book of Revelation says, no matter what God screens every trial before it gets to you. And he goes, that's Daryl, that's Joe's, that's Susie. And it has been ordained from eternity past, nothing happens by accident, even tragedy, even sins committed against you, nothing touches you without God having first given his nod. Now again, God hasn't taken his hands off the wheel for even 10 seconds. His plans are being accomplished despite even through tragedies. Now, again, the problem of evil, God hates evil. And I don't understand the infinite pondering of an infinite God who is good, but understand this, that nothing bad, nothing pleasant, nothing tragic, nothing happens without the decree of God. He is on the throne. God runs the world alone from his throne. Amen. Now, Proverbs 16 says so beautifully, for the Lord works out everything for his end, even the wicked. Maybe cruel or careless people have broken your heart and shattered your dreams. But understand this, as it says in Genesis 50:20, the God who loves you so intensely is going to take that evil and for you is going to weave it in for good, for your good, others' good, and his glory. He is on the throne and by the time that trial got to you, horrible as it may have been, it was the will of God for your life at this time. 
to make you and shape you into the woman, into the man that he's called you to be. And so as, as, as when he feels and, and he, he, he weeps, but his goal is to grow you up spiritually. I, I love one day, one day when you see him face to face, you will say, ah! And you will thank him for every sorrow that has come into your life. You will thank him because you'll realize it was the best thing that could ever have happened to you in light of eternity to train you to reign. In fact, we will thank God endlessly as Johnny Teresanata writes, she taught her, she was one who was paralyzed from the neck down. And she writes and she speaks the same line over and over again. She says this, we will thank God endlessly in heaven for every trial that he has sent us here on earth. Because at that moment, you will be able to see and it will make sense. And so that is what we are called to say, Amen! You are on the throne, Almighty God. And to worship Him forever and ever and ever and ever, whether we understand it or not. And it says, Paul, this is not Disneyland Christianity, I know. But it is the truth. And so Paul writes in Romans 8, he knew the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory to be revealed to us. He had that perspective. And then finally, last one is, he writes in Romans 11, Oh, the depth of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable his judgments and his paths beyond tracing out. God, I don't know what you're doing. How many of you don't know what God's doing today? If you did, you'd be God. You don't know, I don't know. But you know what? He knows. And he is worthy. He created all things. Not just the creator. He has intervened in history. In the, in per, in the person of Jesus. And he has purchased people for God from every tribe and language and tongue and nation. And he's made us to be a people with a destiny for him. And he's made you a person who's going to be a priest and a king, queen forever, who's got this power of prayer to be unleashed on the earth and make a difference on this planet. And we see pieces, but God sees it all. But you know what, friends? It is a call to worship. Go, go to, again, let's quote, worship team, come forward. And mark, mark, put on verse 12 and verse 13. And so I want to invite us for a minute. I want to invite us to sing. To do what they did. They sang it. Now, you may not feel like singing. And again, if you're intoxicated with the beast, say, oh, God, deliver me. And if you're discouraged and beaten down, you were made to sing this. Verse 12, you ready? Let's say it together. Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. Now think before you say the next one. Think of what we give praise to. We give thanks and praise to lots of things. It's not all bad, but not ultimate praise. We don't give ultimate honor to anything on earth. Any job, any career, any money, any position, any spouse, any parent, any friend. We give honor and glory and all the power is to you, O oh God. Let's all stand together. Let's read verse 13 before we worship. To him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be praised and honor, and glory, and power forever and ever. And all the saints said, Amen. It is true. This is the foundation of life. Let's worship. Let's lift up the Lamb. Let's enter into the throne room with the countless number of those who have gone before us and all the angels and get lost in worship to Him who alone is worthy of your devotion and your passion and your heart.